This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Living Beyond War, A Citizen's Guide, our guest today, Winslow Myers, explains why war has become obsolete and outlines a new way of thinking that will be necessary. We are to move beyond our current violent form of conflict resolution. Winslow Myers is an artist and teacher who has worked for many years with the organization Beyond War. Winslow Myers, welcome to Weekly Signals. Well, thank you for having me, Nathan and Mike. It's good to be on your show. That's good to have you with us. How are you today? Um, great. It's about 40 here in Boston. And yeah? <laughs> yeah. It, it gets you going, right? It, it, it does. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I need the change of seasons. <laughs> yeah. Yo, are, are you criticizing our Southern California uh, climate? Oh, I, love to, I just love to come out there. Yeah. We had our uh, annual conference uh, two years ago in Ojai, and it was just so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It, but, you know, it does get monotonous sometimes and it's it's not always beautiful it gets uh it gets ugly with oh. with fires and smog i i love boston this I, I think it's a beautiful town it is a great town yes now now you've been with uh, beyond war almost from its inception and uh can you tell us a little bit about that organization give us some background here well sure uh beyond war began uh at the moment that, uh, in the uh early 80s when uh people were very white. Reagan was in office, and there was this business of these mid-range missiles being put in on both sides in Europe, uh, both sides of the Iron Curtain. And uh, a group of people, many of them associated with Stanford University, uh, decided to to launch an educational project uh, to try to prevent the world from being blown up. I mean, it, yeah. it was very audacious, and um, but it's gone. It uh, it grew very large. And we did some absolutely amazing things. We uh, hooked up uh, a group of American high-level scientists with a group of high-level Soviet scientists, and they wrote a book together about accidental nuclear war. And uh, then uh, with the end of the Cold War, it, uh, there was definitely much less interest in, in what we were doing. And then came 9-11, and a group of people in Oregon who had been associated with Beyond War before uh, decided that the job was not exactly done, uh, understatement of all time, and uh, started, started it up again. And uh, so we're much smaller, but we're uh, trying to uh, get, get larger as fast as we can. Well, you know, a lot of people would say that the idea of moving beyond war is kind of utopian, that this kind of conflict is built into us. Have, what do you say to them? Are there Are there examples of how we can live beyond war? There are lots of examples of how we can live beyond war, but uh, just to, to deal first with the utopian question, uh, yeah. I've been absolutely uh, fascinated by the uh, Obama uh, Nobel Peace Prize speech, and yeah. I printed it out, and I've read it a couple times, and read a lot of what people have said about it, and I think it's just the most tremendous opportunity to open a dialogue about that very question of, yeah. you, you know, realism and idealism. And the way I would put it would be, uh, I mean, obviously the leader of the free world would, would have to talk uh, in a fairly military way, especially at this moment. Um, 
but the way I would put it would be it's not a, a, a clash or a dispute between uh, realism and idealism. It's really a clash between two realisms. And to me, I mean, uh, it simply is not realistic to to go on paying billions and billions of dollars for these uh, gigantic submarines that we have that are not doing a thing to keep us any safer from from uh, terrorism and so on. It's a, it's a whole new world. Uh, so we're talking about changing in a very realistic way the way we think. And uh, it's a total shift. It has to happen for the entire species. We will not move beyond war until that happens. And uh, Obama gave a very articulate argument for the a, a kind of realistic position. But I would say uh, this this endless war business that he has now been sort of sucked into, to the great disillusionment of many, uh, is simply going to plant the seeds for the next war. And uh, it's got to stop. And I'd be glad to <laughs> talk about it. Yeah, I, I'd be them. curious, because you obviously have studied the speech. I heard it. I can't say that I spent a lot of time. I'm just disappointed in hearing somebody accepting the Nobel Prize talking about the and I may be mischaracterizing this by saying the necessity of war, um, but you obviously spent a lot more time looking at what he said, and you see as it as an opportunity for dialogue. Is that what I heard you say? I do. Absolutely, I do. Okay. I mean, I see almost anything as an opportunity for dialogue, because the only alternative is is the kind of uh, dialogue that we have on on, uh, on standard commercial talk radio, which is not dialogue. Um I just I think it's very easy uh, for the peace movement to pose Obama as an enemy. We you know we put people like that first black president up on a pedestal and like Tiger Woods we're tearing him down now. And it was a very very thoughtful speech and it did contain uh, a lot of uh, things that uh, were were hopeful for the for the peace movement. Uh, you know the uh, he he. Uh, he quoted Martin Luther King and so on. Now, for some people, that was cognitive dissonance, and I don't blame them. But, uh, I, again, uh, it's, if we could have a real dialogue in this country about our principles and mm -hmm. about the way we do think about war and about how many wars we've gotten into and why we think we have to, to have 800 bases on, 100, uh, far, far, on the soil of 100 foreign countries, uh, and, well, you know, what our principles are and how we're really living them out, uh, I think it would be a wonderful thing. And I think that speech is an open, uh, you know, an excellent context for that debate. So that's what you heard in this speech. Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's well, I did. And yeah. encouraging to hear yeah. that. Now, I, I just want to inject a couple of things here, because uh, and as, as well as the, there was this previous speech that he gave at the Air was it, uh, Air Force Academy. Is yeah. that where he gave the right. speech on yeah. the, the, the Afghan troops? Um, there are a lot of people, uh, we've had guests on this program uh, who have talked about this sort of tension that exists between uh, the new president and the established sort of military-industrial complex and how, right. how, how, how tough it is for a president to navigate that. And, and we've seen the consequences of those who have even raised uh, uh, you know, their hand a little bit to say maybe we shouldn't be doing this like uh, – um, well, Jimmy Carter and a few others who who suffered the consequences, the political ramifications. And when I heard him talk about, when I heard him give that speech, by his standards, a very lackluster, almost pro forma speech in in my mind. 
And I think the sort oh, of... I don't think his heart was in it. No, it didn't seem to be. It. it didn't have the same sort of rhetorical floor. I, I don't expect every speech he gives to be some kind of uh, a Broadway production, but it's the same time. He seemed very downbeat in, in the presentation. And right. what I gleaned from what I know, there, the, the Pentagon is getting a lot fewer troops than it wanted. He seems to be being dragged, uh, kind of kicking and screaming into this. And he seems in some small way to be raising his hand and saying, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And I, as evidence of that, I'm sorry, I'll go on a little bit further here. And that is, uh, within a couple of days, Robert Gates and Hillary Clinton were on the, the talk show circuit saying, what deadline? So it does seem like there, there's that tension that's building between the president and the established military-industrial complex. Am I right. in the ballpark on this as far as... Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, it's even possible to say that, uh, you know, in saying that he wants to get out so quickly, yeah. um, he's actually doing, you know, what, who was the senator who said in Vietnam, we should declare victory and leave. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, I've read an awful lot about uh, this Afghanistan situation. And uh, I mean, it, it's a cliche to say there are no good options. But uh, the, the, the best idea that I've seen so far is, you know, the traditional way that the Afghanis do things is by way of a council, a council, whether it's a regional one or a national one. And they've had them before, but we've kind of undermined them. And it's, it's much more meaningful to them than having a puppet head of state like Karzai to have what is called a loya jirga, where they, the tribal leaders meet and, uh, and work some things out for their country. Now, their country is so degraded by so much war uh, that uh, things, you know, with the poppy trade and so on, that it, it's a terrible, terrible situation for them. And and uh, leaving um, means that we leave the women in the nation in a bad place. But I, so I don't, uh, I don't uh, uh, advocate leaving entirely. I advocate changing to a much more uh, uh, civilian type uh, strategy with the absolute minimum security. And I think. Uh, to just to ensure the building of civilian projects. And I think if we did that, people... Right now, because the Afghans see a road being built as part of our insurgency, they blow up the road. But if it was... Uh, the whole emphasis was a little bit more on the civilian side of things, they, they would not blow up the road because they, they know they need the road and the schools and the, and the hospitals and everything else. Now, I am not saying this is easy. And, I, and Beyond War is about the big picture, which yeah. is... War after war after war after war, and you know, as soon as the Cold War ended, we had to have a new enemy. Uh, um, I uh, watched 9/11 happen on the television. It was a horrific event, but I have to say, uh, in 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 the subsequent eight years, this country overreacted to such an extent that it is, you know, we could lose our our basic constitutional values. Mm. So uh, we're talking about. Uh, changing the way we think about war because there are such good alternatives available today. The the skills of conflict <clears throat> resolution have come so far. Uh, there's a wonderful professor here at, uh, at BU who is over there uh, in Iraq uh, using nonviolent conf uh, conflict resolution techniques to uh, to help Kur uh, uh, Kurds and and Shia and Sunni uh, resolve some of their conflicts, and it's really hard work. It's much hard work, harder work making peace than it is to make war in a way. Yeah. Uh, but but it can be done, and it should be done. And uh, I think uh, the 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 other 
argument for a different kind of realism has to do with the economics of it, as you know. I mean, the amounts, the grotesque amounts that it costs to keep a single soldier, American soldier in Afghanistan, versus what the other things that we could do with that money, including, you know, building the levees correctly in the Ninth Ward to keep New Orleans going or having some decent health insurance in this country. But even aside from all the things we ought to be doing in our own country to strengthen it, the costs of war have just uh, take it gone, gone beyond all practicality, in my opinion. We're speaking with Winslow Myers. The book is Living Beyond War, A Citizen's Guide. And, and in that book, you, you seem to be arguing that uh, living beyond war, we have to move from tolerance into uh, 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 to pluralism. Right. As I understand it. Tell us, talk a little bit about that, what the difference between sure. the two is. Sure. Well, I'm 68 years old, and, uh, you know, when I uh, first encountered the Civil Rights Movement, there was a lot of talk about tolerance. And, I, <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like uh, a positive word, but now as, as our thinking has moved on in the world, it's almost a negative world, uh, word. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to merely tolerate you. Uh, <laughs> it, it's almost... It's, uh, I, I want to come to the table, whatever I think, and have you listen to me and, and give a good, solid listen to you and, and uh, understand that we're, we're different, and, but we're bringing our commitments to the table. And it's, this is what the world is like now, and there's no better example than Copenhagen. Uh, the, uh, uh, all these different countries bring, um, bring their own uh, frame of reference, uh, which is just incredibly, incredibly difficult. Uh, I was on a, a program for an hour uh, that is primarily directed at African Americans. One out in California, there you probably know the guy, Katie. Uh, but anyway, I mean, I, I I learned more in that interview than I said because uh, the the real uh, the African frame of reference to all this is so very, very different uh, than our you know uh, fat cat. <laughs> perspective yeah. on Copenhagen. But what, Copenhagen has a bigger meaning, which is, uh, to me, which is actually the beyond war meaning. Uh, we're all in this together, and that really nails it and proves it. When we started out uh, in the 80s, we used to you know, always constantly, and it was a new thing, show the earth from space, show the picture of that one thing. There are no borders. We're all in it together. And now it's getting really, really real. And uh, I would say we've got to move from a paradigm of deterrence where we're spending billions and billions and billions of dollars deterring uh, something we can't deter anyway, a suitcase bomb or whatever it is, uh, to, uh, to a paradigm of prevention where we spend these billions and billions of military industrial complex dollars on meeting human needs directly. I mean, I, uh, there's a difference between the Pentagon studying how to fight a, a war to keep water supply uh, and, and estimating that it's going to cost, you know, whatever it is, a trillion dollars, and spending a couple hundred million dollars to build a desalinization plant somewhere and, and uh, solve the water conflict. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then we get into a, the one that, uh, that means a lot to me is, is Boone Pickens' idea of putting windmills in the Midwest because it starts a virtuous circle. It does so many things at once. Uh, when you reduce your carbon footprint, that's a good thing. Uh, when you reduce your dependence on Middle Eastern oil, you don't need all those bases over there. Uh, you, uh, you, you don't play into Osama bin Laden's hands uh, by being in the holy places, Muslim holy places. Everybody wins. 
and that's the kind of model that uh, that I look at with great hope. And now, I can tell you other models too, if you want. Now, well, I had heard, and just to to put a <laughs> a little bit of doubt in that in the T Boone Pickens plan, that he was buying up that property too because it has a lot of uh, water underneath it. The water lights <laughs> is you know, and, and maybe that's just my uh, you know my, my crazy left wing news sources that I'm reading here. But but I I agree with you as far as getting energy going. That's the way to go. I I just was uh, when I heard that he was buying or getting access to the property to uh, hold on to water rights. That whole issue frightens me. Uh, having to to um, pay excess turning water into the new gasoline. Well, there's no question that uh, we're moving into a world where there are going to be more and more conflicts, uh, and you don't need to be a conspiracy theorist to, to see it. It's happening all over the place. The question is, how, how are we going to resolve these things? Uh, by, by being the most powerful nation on Earth, a kind of Roman Empire, and, and, and having inevitable pushback, or, or getting creative about this? I think the American people long for... Uh, something a little more creative, but nobody talks about it and, and, and puts it out there. But it is, it's perfectly possible to describe what it's going to look like. And uh, I don't know, you, I mean, some of the obvious markers would be that we could pretty much get rid of all nuclear weapons. Now, they're not doing anybody any good. And uh, as Jonathan Shell says, it's, it's actually a lot easier in the context of, of solving the global climate change problem to solve the, the nuclear evolution problem. It's, like it's it's starting to look small compared to this this other thing we're facing. Yeah. Well, I, you were you were throwing some numbers around the uh, the billions of dollars that we're spending in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's still staggering amount of money we're spending in Iraq in a in a war that we n- hardly ever hear anything about anymore, and we're still spending I think two billion dollars a week in 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 Iraq, which is just it doesn't surprise me. And uh, the thing about Afghanistan, the, the latest statistic I think we're all becoming more familiar with is the de- with the deployment of these 30,000 additional troops, we're going to be spending close to a million dollars a year per soldier. And you're talking about how we could be, best be uh, spending money in, in Afghanistan to, uh, to put together some sort of an infrastructure that would be supportive of a society where they didn't need to resort to the things that they do today in Afghanistan. And we're spending more a year in Afghanistan than their gross national product. So it's 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 madness. Obscene. It's madness. It's obscene. And and have we talked to the Soviets lately about the experience they went through there? Of course, we, of course. We. <laughs> Ten well, years. Well, yeah. So this. Why there, is it going to be any different? Well, it isn't. And uh, you know, and and history will record that uh, this. You know, we're talking about our. You talked about our empire. The uh, the uh, idea that we have eight eight hundred bases um, by. Um, by some accounts, up to a thousand uh, bases around the world, and and uh, to what end? Uh, they, they, you know, in Afghanistan, will we? We're not immune to the to the forces, the ebb and flow of history here. We could leave Afghanistan with a military that is so broken um, as to be ineffective as a real, uh, an actual defense of America if we ever needed it. Well, some would say it's already broken. I mean, the 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 price we've paid for the I mean, it, just in terms of mental uh, illness and brain injury and suicide and uh, and so on. I, I mean, I I go back to this idea that people are longing for something which is uh, you know, look at this new movie by uh, Clint Eastwood uh, about Mandela. I mean, there's a figure that uh, you know, he he had 
was suddenly taken out of prison and and given the country, in charge of the country, and immediately went into a mode of forgiveness. And the, the white uh, establishment in South Africa also had to make moves. And everybody for a while there was really, really vulnerable and did something very unusual uh, to make uh, the possibility of a new society work without uh, a bloodbath. Uh, that, that's a model, uh, and, and we all look up to these models, uh, but somehow there's something about the American character that, uh, that sort of fatalistically says, oh, we just have to do this same old thing over and over again. I don't buy it, and I don't, I don't think the American people should, and I think we should wake up, and, and it's a complicated argument to make. People need to, uh, the nice thing about this book is it has questions after every chapter so that you can sit with your book club and, and, uh, have a good dialogue about these things. I mean, these are really important things, and the stakes are enormously high. Uh, Al Gore talked, uh, I just read in the paper today, you know, he's saying, uh, some scientists are saying the Arctic ice caps could be completely melted in the summer within seven years. <laughs> I mean, and we're, we're fighting in Afghanistan? Why? I mean, where's the real danger here? Uh, uh, 2014, yeah. I heard that too. That was I heard uh, yeah. as well. That, it's, it is... Uh, immediate. Uh, I I used to Nathan. I used to talk about uh, this as a a crisis that would occur sometime uh, after we were gone, and I think that we'll all be here now for to watch the effects of right. what's happening right. with climate change. I think it is, seems to be accelerating, uh, and it seems to be uh, something that is approaching that what they used to refer to as a sort of uh, uh, biofeedback or not biofeedback, but this feedback system that will right. accelerate the the rate at which this thing occurs. Yeah, all the stuff, that, all the methane and all the carbon dioxide that's that's frozen into the permafrost is going to come out. So yeah. we, we've got incredible stuff here. Now, the interesting thing about this to me is, you know, I'm in the peace movement, and I've been in the peace movement for 25 years, but the peace movement is in a bit of disarray here. And it's like almost like a paradigm, this paradigm of war between nations is definitely dying, and there's a new emerging paradigm. So how does the peace movement fit into that whole thing? And I, I'm all for, I mean, in, as far as Afghanistan and so on, the, 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 if they have a good spirit, I'm all for people being in the streets by the millions. But it's sort of interesting to protest uh, about climate change because I'm the problem, yeah. <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah. there has to be a kind of new model. And I, th- I, I would uh, argue that the model is that we just can't pose enemies anymore. It's, ir- it's irrelevant. It doesn't work. Uh, we have to uh, think of ourselves as all being one human species and, and uh, move towards solutions and, and out our conflicts. Well, Winslow Myers, I, I, we should be encouraged on one hand. I think Copenhagen, I don't know what will come out of the actual agreements that will be signed there. I don't know. I'm not overly optimistic about that. But it does feel as if this has brought uh, two weeks of attention to a problem that the whole world now recognizes and the people uh, of the that run the, the the industrial countries are now on notice that the world cannot and will not be able to support this system um, and i do think i take some encouragement from the lead up to the war in iraq in which millions of people for the first time in history went to the streets to to protest a war that had not started 
And I oh, think and, that, and there's arguments that say that, that the war would have, would have gone on longer if we hadn't done that. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I think that was a terrific. I, I do think so that there's, there's, there's seeds of the anti-war movement that are, are, are in place that will, the people and the, and the, and the rationale and the recognition, that will help with an environmental, worldwide environmental movement to stop this madness. I think so. I mean, there are seeds of a whole new thing here with this idea that, uh, you know, if I cut my uh, carbon footprint, you benefit, and if you cut your carbon footprint, I benefit. Now, that is a beyond-war way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we are beyond war. We just don't know it yet. We, yeah. Our attention is, is, is on this habit of war, uh, and, and meanwhile, these other things are happening, which are showing us that uh, there is a different way to go about it. What was the line you used in the book about war being obsolete? You said it's, what was the... Uh, well, you wouldn't use a, t- <laughs> the one about you wouldn't use a typewriter if you had a computer available. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, well, it, it is obsolete, and, and this is a, a terrific book. The, the book uh, the, uh, is uh, beyond, Living Beyond War, A Citizen's Guide, and we've been speaking with uh, Winslow Myers. Thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me, and check out our Beyond War org, uh, beyondwar.org website. We will. Thank Thank you so much. Take care. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week... I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Kaspar, and this is Weekly Signals.